Welcome to Committing Faith in Public from Phillips Theological Seminary. This podcast is for people who want to be inspired by individuals and communities of faith doing good work in public. Along the way, we'll also get to know more about the ways Phillips supports those living out their faith in the public square. I'm your host, Kurt Gwartney, instructor in the Center for Ministry and Lay Training and Senior Director of Communications at the seminary. Before his retirement from Phillips, Gary Peluso-Verdand met with several faith leaders for a series of interfaith conversations. On this podcast, Gary talks with the Reverend Barbara Prose, who until recently served at Tulsa, Oklahoma's All Souls Unitarian Church. Well, first, would you please uh, uh, introduce yourself and where you serve? Sure. Um, my name is Barbara Prose, and I am currently the executive minister at All Souls Unitarian Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Very good. Very good. And how long have you been there? This is my 13th year. I thought I was coming to Tulsa for 10 months, and this is my 13th year. Yeah. Uh, better out of it now. Good. Good. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, so I'm talking to a Unitarian Universalist minister, um, and I want to talk about, uh, Unitarian, uh, Universalism. Okay. Um, and I want to start with, if someone doesn't know anything about what, what it means to be Unitarian Universalist, and you had five minutes to give them a, a, uh, this is who we are, what, what would you tell them? Um, well, it's been said about us, and I like to say that we are the quintessential American religion. It's a that's a mouthful, um, rooted in the values of democracy and pluralism, and diversity and uh, justice for all. You know, values that we're familiar with. Um, here at All Souls, we talk about love beyond belief because in our in our churches, we we have people coming from all different traditions. Um, with different belief systems, you know, raised in different parts of the country and different families. And so we talk a lot about um, how what one does matters more than what one believes. Mm -hmm. That uh, many beliefs can lead to right action in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or how do your beliefs lead you and guide you to be an ethical, moral, compassionate person? How are you living your life? And mm -hmm. uh, and the beliefs can be more private and individual. Mm -hmm. So another important part of our tradition is that we're a cup. So that means we're not a creedal. So a lot of people come from churches where there's a creed and there's something they have to believe to belong. So here there's nothing you have to believe to belong. What you do to when you become a member or an active participant in one of our congregations, you 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 agree to abide, live by a certain a covenant, a promise we make to each other. And um, the words of our covenant are pretty simple. I could share um, them. Let's see. Mm -hmm. Is the spirit of this church and service is its law. So love is the spirit, not Jesus, Buddha, Allah, like love. It's about love. Service is our law. There's no scripture. There's no one. There's not, there's no Torah. There's no, there's no written law. It's, it's doing for others is our law. Love is the spirit of the church. Serves law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. So, um, yeah, those are the basics. And uh -huh. if I, if the conversation went a couple more minutes, <laughs> I would probably talk about how important direct experience is to us. So, uh -huh. 
um, I really feel like the tradition, religious traditions of the world, you know, are culturally are embedded in culture and geography and time and place. But we eat as humans, we each have access to and experience direct experiences of the divine or of the ultimate nature of reality or of mystery or of the holy. And those experiences, that's a radically democratic statement, right? That the spirit is radically democratic. It's available and accessible to anyone and everyone all the mm -hmm. time. Uh -huh. And then our religious traditions come afterwards, right? Those are articulations of people's experience. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. But the experience comes first. Which makes democracy something deeper than simply a political stance. Yes, it does. I think it's protecting that... Yes, actually, the, the sacredness of each life, the holiness of each life, the divinity of each life. Mm -hmm. So we talk about the inherent worth and dignity of every person, right? More than just as a political animal, but as a, you could say, child of God, if you want to see as traditional. If, if someone's familiar, more familiar with Christianity, let's say, than Unitarian Universalism, what would be some of the similarities and differences you might say with if somebody, if you walk it into all souls versus uh, uh, participating in worship at a Christian church. Well, it depends a little bit which service they walked into. Right. <laughs> different services. But, you know, it's almost Christmas time. So we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate Easter. And I think those services would be very familiar um, to somebody who attended a, a Protestant denomination. And, um, and, and at the traditional service, they would recognize our robes, especially if they were used to an Episcopal church, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, and the the hymns, the hymns we sing, and the organ, um, and they'd recognize the the flow of the service. They might miss uh, scripture reading, which might happen, but it might not happen. They would be, you know, there is a time for prayer, so it would be a mixed bag. That's not interesting. <laughs> interesting. So, what do y'all do with Jesus? <laughs> Uh, we learn from him. We we say it's the re religion of Jesus, um, not the religion about Jesus. Because yeah. again, it, it feels like religion. Uh, Jesus was a prophet. He was a revolutionary. He was um, he was one not to follow the rules. You know, fraternizing with women and all kinds of people, all social classes. So, um, living love beyond belief, not following the the strictures perhaps of his uh, tradition he was raised in. So. Then Christianity became the religion of the empire um, and the creeds were created. So that's why we say that, that we try to walk his walk, um, not abide by the rules of people who created the Christian traditions long after his death. Uh -huh. So for many people, he's, he's, um, he's the son of God and he's uh, a focus. And for many people, he's not. Depends on who you are and what tradition you come from. Back to People come with many different beliefs, um, and they agree here to covenant to walk in the ways of love. And Unitarianism, Unitarian Universalism, also isn't. It's just not a one-stream tradition either, uh, right? I mean, because there, there would be depending on what part of the country you're in and what spiritual sources are tapped in that particular part of the country. I mean, I've. I've known people who are Unitarians that are that are just about Christian to to being Wiccan uh, or 
or no religion in particular, but just drawing very freely uh, from just about any religious tradition, almost this, you know, today probably would be accused of misappropriation or appropriating traditions that maybe they ought to not, not do. But anyways, can you talk something about what Unitarianism looks like uh, in other parts of the country? Wow. Well, I'm from another part of the country. I'm from New England um, and raised in a, a family that attended a Unitarian Universalist church, the Arlington Street Church in Boston. Oh, yes. And um, my parents come from different faith traditions. My mother was French Catholic and my father was Lithuanian Jewish, you know, by ancestry, but not too far back on either side. So a lot of people from mixed faith families end up in our churches also. I mean, and it's true that humanism was such a strong movement in the 20th century, especially in the United States, I mean, in the United States, um, that our churches became very humanistic and many of them became very earth-based. So I, I, that's what I hear you describing. Those movements have had a strong influence in our churches, though I'd say there has been a movement in the last 30 years to reclaim spirituality and, um, and our Christian roots and our Christian traditions, because Unitarianism and Universalism are Christian traditions, right? So, so from the time of Jesus, there have always been Universalist Christians who believed that everyone was included in God's love. And there's all kinds of debates from the very, very early days, no better than I, right? Um, about the nature of Jesus and Christ and uh, the nature of God's love. So Universalism has always uh, existed, like origin, people like that, right? Mm -hmm. So that idea, universalism, that we're all saved is not a new idea. And mm -hmm. it's a very Christian idea, just hasn't been preached in all our churches, all Christian churches. And um, Unitarianism, the idea that there's one God, you know, that's not a new idea either. Right. Um, you know, that was very much what was, um, you know, the Hebrew tradition is all about there. You don't even say the name of God. It's so holy. So that the shorthand for that, which would be another way to talk to somebody about our faith if they didn't know anything about it, is, you know, Unitarian, one God, we all share the same source. And you can make that scientific or naturalistic, one cosmos, one creative moment, all matter, share, we all share all the same, we're all made from stars, stardust. <laughs> and Universalism, we all share the same destiny. So same origin, same destiny, all people. Of course, then the challenge is how do we get along? Because... That's easy to say, easy to feel, and, and we want world peace. But then there's the challenge of being on the planet together and there being so many differences. Yes, very much so. Which leads me to one of my other questions. The struggle in uh, defining and living out diversity and inclusion uh, is very much part of American society today and is certainly part of our polarization uh, from a, from a UU perspective, how do you, how do you think about diversity and inclusion? I mean, I think our history is helpful because we, you know, very early on for like a woman's right to be ordained. Um, and we sometimes argue with the congregationalists about who was the first to ordain a woman and we had woman be clergy from, you know, early on in American history. So that's a pleasant example of inclusion that we can be proud of. And also same with LGBTQ rights. We were early to affirm um, um, people in their diversity around those issues. So 
And we have a lot of work to do. And I'd say um, around race and class, uh, it's the, those are even trickier and harder to affirm just differences and and um, political correctness. So so we have our own rigidity. I think part of the reason I started with that, the grounded in democratic values, I think that believing in democracy might be one thing that I'd say we believe in or I believe in means you you are, you discipline yourself to listen to people who have an opinion different than your own. Uh-huh. And that, that is a real core value. So even when our own people are becoming um, judgmental or, um, yeah, I think they know better. I like to remember that we don't have all the answers and we really need to listen to each other respectfully because the market doesn't work with that, that kind of civil civic dialogue. I, I read a paper in seminary on American civil religion as my father's actual religion. Uh, you know, he studied, he studied our founding, the founding of this country with great reverence. He had great rev- reverence for the values, those enlightenment values that were at the foundation of this country. Uh-huh. Uh, there was a professor uh, at Union Seminary in New York around the turn of the 19th and 20th century by the name of William Adams Brown. Uh, and he was a teacher of what became some of the great ecumenical agents in the 20th century. But he wrote a couple of books on uh, democracy and Christianity. And one of the things he said that I was reminded of as you were talking is democracy means God may say something differently to you than God has said to me. And we need to be able to listen to each other to understand the fullness of what God maybe has said. I love that. Yeah, so it's it's very much part of your tradition. It's beautiful because I remember when I handed in that paper, I had a pretty conservative uh, professor. You know, I went to a Christian seminary, and I had a pretty conservative, but open-minded and open-minded professor. And he was he's like, I don't get usually get very many positive papers about American civil religion. This was really interesting. Very <laughs> good, right, right. Are there some misunderstandings that? Uh, people who aren't Unitarian tend to have about uh, about UUs. I'm thinking especially in a place like Oklahoma where where what Unitarian Universalism stands for is sometimes quite 180 degrees opposite of where sometimes more um, fundamentalist, very highly conservative Christianity stands for. So anyways, are there are there some misunderstandings that tend to be applied to Unitarianism? You'll have to tell me some of what you hear, but um, you were, <laughs> now I'm curious, but you were mentioning one of them before. I mean, yeah, some people think you don't have to believe anything, right? Um, you don't, uh, well, first of all, yeah, the, first we don't, people think it's kind of funny because yeah, that we don't believe anything and you can believe anything you want. Those are kind of like the two, the two poles. Um, and it's true in a sense that we're, um, where we, as I said, we include people with many different belief systems, but it doesn't mean that you can act in immoral or unethical ways, right? Because you belong to a covenanted community, so you're we are accountable to each other for what we believe. So um, you can't just say, I believe this and go off on your own. So you kind of have to belong to a community to really be a practicing Unitarian Universalist. Oh, okay. And, um, and people don't, I mean, people don't believe anything. That's... um. I don't think that's true at all. And I think people take their faith here very seriously. And it's actually a lot of hard work. 
yeah, so it's it's not just some groovy new age religion, which is sort of where you were intimating before in other parts of the country, though it can feel that way sometimes. And we and we take theology seriously here. So people often deconstruct the religion they were raised with. Um, and then we do the work of reconstructing. So what from the faith you grew up in still rings true and what doesn't ring true? You know, if he doesn't ring true, why not? But then what do you believe is good? And what do you think is the source of life? And what does give you hope? Then we have, then we rebuild uh, maybe a more mature or adult understanding of, of God and humanity and the relationship between God and humans and good and evil and all those big theological questions. So um, we take that journey really seriously of deconstructing and reconstructing a mature faith belief, belief system. We're not afraid of people's doubts and we're not afraid of people's questions. So people often come very happy to have that freedom to voice their doubts and ask their questions and not be forced into one way of believing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially in coming from either creedal churches or churches that have a, a hierarchical teaching authority. Uh, uh, There's sometimes will accuse Protestants in general, but Unitarians in particular, of being latitudinarian. That's that you know that it, it, there there are there's no boundaries, there's no ends to what one might believe. And I think that uh, the what you just said about being in order to be a Unitarian, you need to be part of a covenant community. Covenant community. I think that's sometimes misunderstood that it's just it's not simply individualistic uh, while the personal individual responsibility for asking your questions and claiming your answers uh, uh, is seems to me to be very much part of the Unitarian tradition I know that there are well there are you know progressive Protestant traditions are similar in saying bring your questions here um but I think that maybe the best example of such that I know is is the Unitarian tradition. Come here and work it out. You know, but there's always truth in the critiques too. And I know, so I mean, that latitudinarianism and also can be can be lack of depth also. You know, I think we can be shallow. We, we don't maybe don't go as deep in one tradition or one trajectory or one practice. So I people do need to be aware of that. Um, and and commit to something uh, because i think yeah i think one error i'm not sure what's the right words to use but a place where we fall short is because we're so active around social justice issues service is our law um that sometimes i think that takes the place of a, a spiritual dimension and people mm -hmm. neglect people in our congregation sometimes neglect their soul and their prayer life and their connection to God. And uh, that's it. I think that's needs to be talked about and needs attention in our movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for, for all of us who want to be out there doing good in public, uh, uh, what feeds that? Right. Uh, and, and that that needs to be as fed as constantly as, as, anything else in our lives that's really worth doing especially as you were saying at, when we're in a time when we're so polarized and there's right. so much anger, and that's getting fed all the time right that there's always fuel being poured on those flames but right right we are, where's that cool fresh water from the well that kind right. of <laughs> right so to go along with that polarization in our society we also have a a, a deep level of conflict uh and 
I know people often will turn to religion, hoping that religion will, will help with peace, with settling conflicts, with dealing humanely with each other. Um, uh, can you, can you think of, of, uh, traditions and practices within Unitarianism, which, uh, if practiced more broadly, uh, both in Unitarian churches, but especially taken into American society would actually help, uh, us deal with conflict better. In other words, are there, are there some clan conflict management? I conflict resolution may be a little, little tough. Because uh, some some conflicts are being managed rather than resolved, they're always going to be there. Um, but is there something from within your tradition you say yes? This this I think is very important in dealing with conflict. Yeah, actually, I uh, it's interesting. Um, I mean, this is not just within my tra my tradition, but it's very ad we're very engaged in this in my tradition. But lots of people in the world are engaged right now with learning about their own culture and each other's cultures and. That really has changed my life, I'd say, in the last 13 years of me. Mm. The work I've done about culture and identity. So, so and a good example of that is, as you said, like there, there is no, there's always tension in life. There's always going to be friction. There's always going to be conflict. It's what do we do about it? How do, how do we manage it? So, so I don't think of peace as the absence of conflict, but peace as more of a practice, right? How do I bring a calm-centered self into whatever conflicts might be happening in my life, work life or personal life. Um, so part of that might be a prayer, personal prayer life or meditation practice. But um, but part of that also is um, learning, learning to recognize one's own culture and learning to recognize, appreciate other people's culture. So you can actually start to communicate on a deeper level with people who have a different belief system. Because I think we make a lot of assumptions that people are the same as we are. And the, there's a lot we have in common, but we tend to minimize the differences, push them aside, kind of universalize our shared humanity, and then and then not go deep enough to have really productive, fruitful conversations. If that makes any sense. And an example of that is, you know, there's the golden rule that we were all, people my age, were raised with, uh, right? Do unto others is you would have done unto yourself, but it also as we talk about the platinum rule, which is do unto others as they would have done unto them. So it's kind of going beyond that. Everybody, I assume, which, you know, a big cultural woo-boo mistake. I assume that you have the same values, goals, vision that I do, but you don't experience it and you don't. So if I did to you what I want done to me, I might really hurt you or offend you, right? So, so to be in a relationship, pretty much with anybody because we're all different means to ask questions and to listen to the answers and to ask you, well, how do you want me to address you? Right. Or what are your table rules? You know, if I, if we share dinner together, not to assume that you want it done the way I want it done. And that, um, and I think that's a really beautiful, hopeful shift that from the golden rule to the platinum rule, and, and a way of us engaging with our differences uh, these days when there are so many things dividing us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I tend to like to keep those two rules in conversation with each other. Because yes. either way, we can still insert ways to assume uh, uh, or, uh, or that 
may not be the most helpful. I mean, it depends also if the other person's in a really bad place uh, and they say, well, what I really want is this and that this you think is going to cause further harm. You also don't want to do that. So, so I, it, it, I think it helps enrich the conversation and it certainly gets, yes, it's the plat introducing the platinum rule certainly helps us to not assume that, you know, that what I want for myself is what, is what the other person wants also. I mean, we may both say we both want to be happy. We both want a fulfilling relationship, but what it takes to be in that relationship may be quite different for each of us. Well, my, my funny example of that, I use this in Oklahoma is a, you know, because I'm from New England is very different culture than here in Oklahoma. And I, um, and it still happens, you know, walk, just opening doors and walking through doors, men, men will open the door and kind of insist that I go through first. It's really funny. So, so I'm always, it's funny. I'm, I don't mind it. It's nothing I would ever refuse, but I do feel a kind of relief when I'm with men who will just open the door and walk through it. And I'm like, it, it's just a different, I don't, yeah, it's just so interesting. I, I, I think cultural conditioning goes very deep and it doesn't mean somebody's bad or wrong. Uh, and then we can increase our tolerance for, for these different practices and habits we have. Yeah. Can you think of a time when either the, the, uh, Unitarian Universalist church as a denomination or a particular congregation such as all souls did something in public life that you're really proud of? And if so, could you describe that time? Yeah, I don't know what year it was. You might know what year it was. Uh, we called it an ethical spectacle. But when the governor of Oklahoma here said that he wasn't um, approving of gay marriage here in the state of Oklahoma before the laws changed, All Souls, we we held a ceremonial, a ritual, a marriage ceremony. We had many, many gay couples here who had gotten married in other states. And we had clergy of all different denominations. Um, so standing up and saying that they were ready, willing, and able to marry same-sex couples here in this state. So that was a really, really wonderful event, uh, which must have happened seven or eight years ago. I don't know. Um, and then even before that, in Boston, I think uh, one of our past presidents of the UEA, Bill Stingford, married the first same-sex couple, I think, in this country. So so yeah, those are, those are so affirming of people's humanity and divinity, I would mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. Can you also think of a time when uh, what ad an adherent of another religion, uh, another faith perspective, did something in public life, and you said that's great? You're that's that's something also to be proud of. Wow, you asked that question a little differently. Um, in public life. Oh gosh, I'm pulling. I'm I'm sure there is. And I'm feeling a blank, but I'm going to take a little different, different. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Change the question up a little bit. Okay. <laughs> it's becoming more and more important actually, um, to me in my life right now is, um, the practice of meditation and the teachings in the Buddhist traditions. So I feel like, um, you know, as someone who's called to religious life and who really believes in goodness, God's goodness, our goodness, but 
has it's like it's one thing to believe in it and aspire to it and it's another thing to figure out how in the in the day-to-day life to really show up as a good person <laughs> it's not as easy as it sounds um we're such emotional creatures uh-huh. we're, we can be so irrational um and triggered so easily and we're so sensitive and anger and fear and jealousy and those things arise so quickly and easily and so rather than just calling them sins and discounting them, I'm really finding that meditation um, is giving me the groundedness and the centeredness and the discipline to show up, show up in the world the way I want to be able to show up. So I think it's an ancient, ancient practice, you know, a pre-Christian practice, a powerful practice. So, um, so it, it's, and it's, you know, in, in my, and there's, Big history of Christian Buddhist dialogues. So, and Pema Trojan is a female teacher. She's quite elderly now. She's still alive, but I like lifting up her name because lots of people have heard of Thich Nhat Hanh and the Dalai Lama, but not a lot of people know Pema Chodron. And um, she was a wife and a mother, and um, she's become an esteemed teacher. And she's a great teacher. It's very down to earth and very practical, but um, it never it doesn't let me down. Those teachings. Yes. And yeah, the, the dialogue, the Buddhist Christian and the Buddhist Christian Hindu, I mean, they're yeah. so interesting while the, while they, the, when, when they, persons from different meditative traditions gather together, um, yeah, there are some different techniques and, and, and of course, different reasons for why we get into, um, uh, meditation alike, but the experience of meditating apparently is one of the great uh commonalities uh where they where you know they do wind up finding that i think we are we are all somehow tapping the same well like if you go deep enough right deep 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 right. deep one source right. all those wells yeah. all those wells yeah so you and i both uh are from elsewhere uh and have spent significant time here in oklahoma um so we do know something about the way that uh our own faith traditions, as well as kind of the ecology faith traditions, work uh, maybe differently in New England or the Chicago area from where they, where they do here. I'm I'm wondering if you, have, uh, in reflection, if you found anything particularly um, challenging or different about practicing as a Unitarian here in Oklahoma, as compared to you know uh, if you're from New England, that's the that was the center of gravity for. For uh, that's spread out for Unitarianism and other parts of the country. Yeah, it's. I feel like I've still been, even though I've been here 13 years, I've been somewhat protected. But as you say, it's the norm where I'm from. It's really through our staff here at the church that I'd say that I've learned how much we are in the minority and how we are perceived as irreligious <laughs> and dangerous. You know, people think we're a cult and uh, we're radical. So our staff is often afraid. I mean, I, I would never think to be afraid, right? It, I, <laughs> that's not where I come from. But sometimes when there's uh, we're taking a public stand on a controversial issue, you know, our staff will bring security concerns. Are we going to have security? And we're so vulnerable here. And so that has just woken me up to the reality of being part of a liberal faith tradition in such a conservative state. And uh, it's been shocking 
to me actually. And then on the other hand, I feel like we're, no, we're, uh, you know, we're like an oasis for some, for some people who feel so threatened out there mm-hmm. because they feel like they don't belong in the dominant culture. Then for, for them, we're a place of safety and great comfort, but, uh, we definitely are in both places at the same time. That is an interesting spot to be. <laughs> Never boring. Never boring. Never, Never boring. boring. Never boring. Even up, you know, bullet holes shot through our sign. You know, the big sign we have out on Peoria. I think that was a Black Lives Matter related topic. So yeah, no, it is. It's a it's a really interesting role play. You and I have both been involved in an organization called Braver Angels, this uh, six-year-old organization that was founded after the 2016 election in an effort to try to uh, depolarize uh, American culture as much as possible. Um, And certainly to human, you know, so that people didn't see each other as enemies, uh, as opponents maybe, uh, in in political matters or or in some moral matters, but not enemies that were friends, were neighbors, um, and to move to, to our discussions and arguments to that level rather than you're my enemy, I must defeat you, I must utterly defeat you, I must drive you into the sea, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, it has always seemed to me that uh, that for you, your sense of your own uh, journey, uh, your call as a pastor is connected with with what Braver Angels does. That there's that I might draw a a at least a dotted line, if not a solid line, between that belief in the sacredness of every person uh, and uh, and Unitarianism, Universalism being a a, a fundamentally democratic uh, faith. Uh, faith tradition um, between that tradition and the Braver Angels work. Could you comment on it a little? Am I am I right? Am I wrong? How do, how do you see the connection between your faith stance and and your involvement in Braver Angels? Politics are. I'm just walking out on the high wire here. Um, I mean, politics are necessary, right? We we live in communities, and so we we need politics to govern ourselves. Um, but if we lose, but it is so dangerous to lose our uh, knowing of each other as human beings worthy of respect. Um, anything that dehumanizes is dangerous and, uh, Politics can do it. Religion can do it. But I am very wary of any any political or religious institution that will dehumanize another. And because it is a violation of my most deeply held beliefs. It's funny, they were taught to me on both sides, you know, both by the humanist part of my family and the religious part of my family. So it's a, it's a place where everything comes together, right? Of, uh, respect being so important and you know life and this is a very buddhist perspective life being painful enough right the human journey 
from birth to death, including just the reality of death being very difficult. So, so just to try to bring some compassion and um, grace to to the realities we have to navigate together feels so important. I'm just more and more convinced. So, and and we just must. This must be an aberration. This time of history we're in, because people have. And people from both sides of the aisle have worked well together before. So I have faith that we will return to a time when people from both sides of the aisle work well together again. It's it's um it's really just pointless to be so divided when we all share the same love for this amazing country that's such a profound experiment in pluralism that we all get to be a part of. So that's my hope. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a speech that uh, Frederick Douglass gave often uh, in the um, 1870s uh, regarding what he called the composite American. Um, and it was the, the topic was really about whether Chinese ought to be allowed to immigrate to the country. Um, but one of the things he said that made America was he thought he, it, it was very hopeful time, reconstruction time uh, uh, about Americans. He said, said, it would be madness to create a country where you divide yourselves from each other. It would just be madness. I was reading this uh, to a Sunday school class uh, the other day, and they're like, oh, well, 18, 1869, eh? <laughs> It'd be madness. It is. It, is. it creates more madness. That's yeah. true. Not so much hope in those years. Wow. Right. What note would you like to leave on? Uh, leave this leave this conversation on. I mean, I think what you were saying a moment ago about the necessity of recognizing the humanity of each other is a wonderful message, um, and that'd be a great closer. Uh, but is there something something else you'd like to say before we end our conversation? I, th- I thought that was a good closer too. It just kind of happened organically. So thank thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation. Um, it's just it's a pleasure pleasure yeah. talking always. Has been, has been, and uh, we're going to miss you around Oklahoma. I'm going to miss Oklahoma too. I've learned, well, maybe that's it. I have, I have learned a lot in Oklahoma and I will always be grateful for my years in Oklahoma. It's been a powerful experience for me to live in a place so culturally different from where I was raised. And to find a lot of great people here doing important work. Amazing, brilliant, caring people. Yeah. Best of century. Listen up. (laughs) Good. Reverend Barbara Prose, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Committing Faith in Public from Phillips Theological Seminary. For more information about this episode, see the links in the show notes or go to ptstulsa.edu. As always, we're grateful to the originator of this podcast, Gary Peluso-Verden, Phillips President Emeritus, and former director of the Center for Religion and Public Life. I'm your host, Kurt Wartney, and if you know someone who is living their faith in public and would make a good guest, I'd like to talk with them. You'll find my email address in the notes. We also invite you to like and follow our work. Until next time, keep committing faith in public.